It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at PenFed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Bear Boat Alaska, a pure DIY hunting game with one of their 37-foot adventure yachts. You and five of your friends can hunt, fish, set crab pots, shrimp pots, and take DIY to the next level. Bear Boat Alaska is locally owned by a Ketchikan resident who lives here year-round. Call Larry at 907-617-4542 or go to bearboatalaska.com. That's B-A-R-E boatalaska.com and tell Larry you heard about it on this podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. I have uh, the host of the Fish Untamed podcast. Uh, you can go to fishuntamed.com. She's got a blog, podcast, and everything. Her name is uh, Katie Berger. Uh, nice to meet you. Thanks for being on here. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jeff. I'm excited uh, to be on. So we were talking about uh, podcast equipment, and your episode is 96. Is that what you released uh, lately? Is that your last one? Um, I think one released this morning, so I'd have to look and see which one it is. But yeah, we're we're somewhere in the upper 90s for sure. Crazy. That's awesome. Um, so we were talking about uh, headphones and microphones and whatnot. And one of the equations that I always, or the things that I, I equate to uh, equipment is sometimes you don't know how much better something more expensive is going to be. And so if you spend an extra $150 on a, on a headset, is it going to be that much better than the one that was 75 bucks and the people who spend four or $500 is going to be that much, much better. Um, that is so like fly fishing in that you get a fly rod for 70 bucks and it is horrible, but you don't know how bad it is until you, uh, get a better one. So what was your first fly rod and, and who was that behind the rod? So it was a it was a Saint Croix. I don't remember the um, the model. I just remember it was a Saint Croix two piece, and I got it because I, I I'll try to keep a long story short. But I essentially grew up with a spin rod in my hand. Um, grew up fishing, and uh, when I was in college, my sister worked as a teacher with a guy who um, who guided fly fishing over the summer, and they were looking for extra people to come out and work the shop, kind of get some guiding under their belt um, as a junior guide. And so I basically got a call one day asking if I wanted to come learn to fly fish and simultaneously learn to work the, the shop and everything. Um, so I went out knowing nothing about fly fishing and went to a, it wasn't a fly shop. It was like a local um, rod and tackle store uh, gun shop and basically told them I need fly fishing gear. And I don't think any of the people who worked there fly fished. I think they had that section cause they needed to, but it, it was more of like a traditional um, like mm. gun and tackle store. So I got this two piece rod, um, with no concept of the fact that I would be hiking a lot, like guiding these backpacking trips. So um, I would like carry this two piece rod in its two piece uh, case on like probably up to five to six mile trips, um, oh, which like was a flagpole. Yeah, it was, it was awful. Um, so I quickly, I quickly got a four piece after that, but um, yeah, that first rod was a St. Croix. I, I don't remember how much I spent. I probably spent about a hundred bucks on it. Um, I still have it. I still use it. Uh, but because it's a two piece, I just, I usually choose something else, but it's my only five weight rod actually. So if I want to fish a five weight, I've got to pull that two piece out. Um, and all my other rods have, have been different weights at this point. 
How many different rods do you have? I've got four. Uh, yeah, four four fly rods and a handful of spin casters and bait casters. You primarily uh, do fly fishing? Yeah, for the most part. Um, I will spin cast when I'm back home in Pennsylvania for bass and walleye and stuff. Um, and occasionally out here from fishing for something that just doesn't make sense for. But I would say 95 plus percent of what I do is fly fishing at this point. And you're in Colorado. I am. Yep. Where at and what do you do there? I'm uh, just outside Denver, maybe half hour west of Denver, so right at the foothills. And uh, I'm currently a master's student in hydrology, but I'll graduate in May and I've got a job lined up. So um, I'll be working as a hydrologist starting uh, this May. Excellent. Uh, where at in, uh, I was born in Rocky Ford, Colorado, and then my, my parents went to uh, UNC in Greeley. And so I spent a lot of time down there and my wife and I did a big looping trout tour and uh, fished the Blue River and the the Platte and um, uh, the Gunnison. We were going to fish the Animus, but uh, it was it was blown out. Um, so, yes, I'm in Lakewood, um, but I know, you know, I'm pretty familiar with a lot of places you mentioned in your email, you talked about the circles and we've spent a decent amount of time up in that part of the state too. So, yeah. Yeah. It's crazy to have so many childhood memories of Colorado, but nothing West of like Estes park. We'd go up there and hang out and I'd, I was a little kid, uh, go up there with my grandparents and I'd get the a caramel apple, uh, from the Rocky mountain chocolate factory. And that was, it was elk were walking around, but those are my yeah. only memories. And it was only t- a couple of years ago when I went back to fly fish. I thought, man, this is pretty great. Yeah, there's a, a lot of opportunity. And one thing I really like is the diversity of um, like landscapes. You know, you can go from uh, pure desert to grasslands to epic mountains and basically everything in between. Um, so it's kind of nice being situated right in between all these um, awesome landscapes that, you know, I, I like them all for their own reasons. Mm-hmm. One of the things I like about your podcast, it's you clearly have a a knack for the interview, but also like you listen and, uh, and, and you have good conversation, especially when it was at Mel is Mel, your, your return. Uh, yeah. visitor. No, those yeah. are great. Those are great episodes. And you never let slip exactly where, at least in the ones that I've, I've, I've listened to, you never let slip where you fish. You talk about specifics, but not on specific rivers. Um, is that a conscious thing, a subconscious thing? Uh, it's a conscious thing. Um, I don't pretend to be uh, any sort of like famous, you know, name in the industry or anything like that. Uh, but I don't think a lot of the places I fish need a lot of pressure. Um, and I know a lot of my listeners are out in this area. So, um, not that I think that any of my listeners are bad people or trying to destroy ecosystems, but, um, I, I find a lot of joy in finding my own spots or, or talking to friends about where they've been fishing and, you know, trading spots with them. But, um, in general, I like the idea of kind of keeping your spots to yourself and, um, encouraging people to, get out there and explore and, you know, have some of the, those spots for themselves too, like places that it, it's really special to feel like you found something that is a, a hidden gem. Um, that's just for you and your group, even though, you know, there's other people out there using them as well. But, um, I do try to kind of keep things on the down low, unless it's a, a major river, you know, I'm not going to not say I went to fish the Arkansas or the South Platte, like those, those places are discovered and I'm not going to pretend that, you know, those are secret spots that no one else knows about. Um, but a lot of the like blue lining I do or the Alpine lakes, um, I think those places are best found, you know, with, with blood, sweat and tears. Yeah. Yeah. Is that, uh, your, your favorite, uh, is to do the backpack type thing, or are you just like throwing hours at some of the more available things? Cause sometimes the nicest fish is just, you can drive an hour after work on a Friday and I'm just fishing. And so you love the river for that immediate gratification, that immediate sort of, we're getting into the weekend right now. And so it can't really compare with your backpacking type stuff, but man, those are so valuable to your sanity. Absolutely. Yeah. I've been trying to do a little bit more of that because, you know, if I had my way, I would be out 
in the middle of nowhere all the time. But that's, like you said, obviously not an option, uh, especially if you've got to drive a decent distance and spend a decent time getting there. Um, but one of the places I don't mind sharing, um, I live about 10 minutes from Clear Creek, which you'd think would be just horrible with how close it is to um, Denver and, you know, it flows right through Golden. Um, but you, I can drive 15 minutes and be in fish basically guaranteed. And it, it receives a decent amount of pressure, but not too much. Um, you know, it's not it's right along the highway. So it's not like a super pristine um, place to be. And I wouldn't eat a fish out of there, but um, I really like those little places that you can drive and fish for 30 minutes and not feel like you've really given up much of your day. Like you can still do other things that day, um, but squeeze a little bit of fishing in. Um, and I really like having those places nearby to go do that. Even if it's um, maybe just holding me over until the next kind of far away destination. Are you one of the types that as soon as you get on the water, your brain just immediately lets everything go or do you kind of work things out as you're fishing it could be either one i guess if it's something i would say that if there's something stressing me out yeah i can let that go but it's also um occasionally a good place to mull things over like if i want to um i don't know like people talk about going for a walk and how you know if maybe they're a writer and they've got writer's block and they go for a walk and that stirs the the um creative juices i guess uh i don't do a lot of like blog writing anymore so i don't have that uh, specifically, but um, just if I've been mulling over a way to handle a situation or whatever, and it's not necessarily stressful, it's just maybe I've got a block on, you know, I, I'm not making any progress on it. Um, sometimes heading to the river, yeah, especially if it's kind of an easy fishing day where I don't have to think much about what I'm doing. Uh, you know, a place I've been before, I know where the fish hang out, I know what flies work, um, and I've got a little bit more uh, free headspace. Yeah, that could be a good place for me to um, like work through some things I've been trying to figure out. Mm-hmm. You don't. Uh do as many posts on the the blog is that uh just the the masters gotten in the way or other things happening you didn't really like it as much or what what happened with the blog posts yeah so i started it um and was really excited about it and i'd started that before the podcast so that was kind of feeling my um like my scratching my fishing itch when i couldn't be on the water um but i listened to a ton of podcasts um, for the past couple of years i have and so when i started the podcast um I found that I was enjoying it a lot more. Like I like talking to people in person. I make a lot of good connections that way. Um, I get to learn a lot. And the blog started to feel more like a chore, like mm-hmm. something I just, I, you know, I release them on this day and I've got to get one out. Um, and I was like, why am I doing this if I, it's feeling like a chore? You know, I, I should be doing this because it's fun. Um, so I just kind of sunsetted that. I mean, I, I still leave it up there. So the po- the posts are um, there and I will go through periods while, where I will accept guest posts so people can share um, their writing on the, with the website. But even that I've got on a pause right now because I was receiving too many kind of like spammy requests mm-hmm. and I didn't want to yeah. deal with that either. So um, because this isn't like a huge money making venture or anything, I figure um, I should cater it to being fun and informative for me. Um, and that way I can at least kind of send that energy out to my listeners. I don't want it to I don't want them to hear me not liking it, you know, so I've got to cater it to what I want to do. And it's, I've just kind of settled on the podcast being um, where I want to focus my energy. And I feel like that's the best way to serve myself and the people who are listening. Yeah. Uh, that's, a, that's a big, big point you make there on the one side, there's not having any energy and as though you don't really enjoy it. The opposite of that is kind of the trying too hard where it just smells like, or sounds like you're trying to make something out of this. Like this is, this is going to take over my job. I can't wait. This is my two-year plan in two years. Yeah. My <laughs> podcast is going to be my career. And I'll be able to quit my job, tell my job, my, my boss to stuff it. And I'm just going to talk for a living. And that's, I don't like that either. I I can't think in particular of like any podcast that comes to mind that has that energy, but I could see how that would quickly be 
like a turnoff. Um, mm-hmm. If you can kind of hear that in the person's voice, which I hope that's not the vibe I'm giving off, but <laughs> I feel like the, all the podcasts I like listening to are the ones where it just feels like someone's having a good time. And so that's kind of what I've tried to cater it toward. Yeah. Who do you listen to? Oh, like general podcasts or, yeah. or fly fishing yeah. specific? Either. Oh, I listen to all kinds of stuff. I'd say the three biggest genres I listen to are true crime, fly fishing, and hunting are the, are the three big ones. <laughs> nice. What are the names of the podcasts? Um. I'd have to look actually. I mean, I've, I listen to uh, like Wet Fly Swing. I listen to Orvis. Um, I feel like I'm blanking now that I'm on the spot. I listen to uh, Meat Eater, uh, mm-hmm. Wired to Hunt. Um, on the true crime side, I listen to My Favorite Murder. Um, basically, all the big ones. Like, if, if you were to Google like the top, you know, five or 10 podcasts from each of these genres, it's probably those ones on the list. Hit Lister. Yeah. Do you ever listen to Joe Rogan? Yeah, I have. I don't listen to all of them, but I listen on yeah. occasion. I think it, he has such a variety. That's one of the things that I've really been thinking about why it is that he's so popular. And that's because it, MMA people listen to him, hunting people listen to him, politic, anybody can listen to him, which is why his audience is so big. But he never tries to leverage a guest. He never tries to, you know, it's, I can't wait to get this big name on here because it's going to be big for me and my podcast. He really just wants to talk to people uh, who are interesting and just, whoever he wants to have on there. And I think that's an important thing. Obviously he's in a much, much different situation, but I think there was a time when I was trying to just land big names, big names as a way to like validate it. Like, I just want to have fun. I just want to talk to people. I don't want to put off that vibe that this is what I want to, to replace my job. I I enjoy my job. So, um, but yeah, it's interesting to listen to enjoy, but also get kind of tips about how you can get, uh, get better. Has there been anything that you've kind of listened or understood or thought, oh, I kind of want to make sure that I have that sort of my own individual way of doing it, but I, I want to work on this skill or anything? Um, I think the biggest thing I focus on that I, and I've heard positive feedback about it is that I don't come in with a list of questions. I have a list of topics written down, you know, in case things go silent, the person's not super talkative. I like to have something to bring me back without having to think on the spot, but I try not to come in with a rigid set of questions and instead follow up you know if someone says something interesting i don't want to just blow past that and go to my next question that might mm-hmm. be completely unrelated um and obviously sometimes i need to just switch gears and, and move on but um for the most part i like to follow up on things you know if someone says something interesting i want to dig deeper into that um and if i have a genuine curiosity in what they're talking about i'm gonna you know sometimes we don't talk about fishing for half the episode because they say something else that's really cool yeah um, yeah so i try to just let it go where it goes and think you know if i were talking to this person around a campfire, what would I be asking them about? Mm-hmm. Um, and because the to- the episodes often have a topic that we're, we're discussing, I, I want to provide some value, especially if it's more of an informative episode. But I also like to include some that aren't really informative. They're just kind of like mulling over things because those are my favorites to just, I don't know, hash stuff out, you know, ethics yeah. and like, why do people act the way they act? And, um, you know, what trends have we seen? And just things like that. I like kind of varying it, but I'd say just you know, being curious and and being open to what the next thing you're going to say is instead of having it rigidly planned out, um, Mm -hmm. you know, what your set of questions is. That's, that's kind of my biggest goal. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by big wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I first heard that Mint Mobile offers premium wireless starting at just 15 bucks a month, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them and using their service, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they're the first company to sell wireless service online only. 
They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. For anyone who hates their phone bill, Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for just 15 bucks a month. I was hesitant about having to get a new phone and a new phone number, but with Mint, you can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone and your same phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Mint Mobile gives you the best rate whether you're buying for one or for a family, and at Mint, families start at two lines. All plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Switch to Mint Mobile and get premium wireless service starting at just 15 bucks a month. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and to get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com/waypoint. That is mintmobile.com/waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com/waypoint. Yeah. Yeah, for sure and the around the campfire thing can be really really good. It can also sound like just a bunch of inside joke type things and if the listener wasn't there, then, you know, it's not going to work. Um, I tell my journalism students that like all the time you go into the interview, you have all these questions, but like follow the tangent and then provide the value. What does this mean? And if you're writing a column or some sort of opinion, what's the point? You, your audience is not an English teacher. Your audience is, is readers, people, you know, what are you going to provide them? And that's an important thing I think to, to keep. And I kind of remind myself throughout is just, all right, let's, let's do a little background research here. Let's kind of know what, what might be good questions to bring out uh decent well, worthy responses. Well, that's why I was glad that you said that you enjoy the episodes with Mel because that's that is those episodes are the ones that I do sometimes fall into the trap of mentioning inside jokes and things because that's that's my release to just have fun. It's like I'm going to catch up with you anyway. Let's record it. Someone might be interested, but I do have to remind myself that not everyone thinks we're as funny as we do, and not everyone gets the jokes that we're telling each other that um, we think are hilarious, but only because they were situational. Um, yeah. So it's it's nice to hear that at least somebody else you know gets joy out of those. Yeah, well, there's also the it can also remind you that part of the connecting point can be you know what I remember this I need to call this person like I had a similar experience with my buddy Lars and so I got I got to call him and uh, you know you can be inspired by that so there's a lot of different takeaways that people can have from stuff but yeah it's uh, it's pretty fun to just chat it up absolutely. Uh, so when it comes to going on trips, are you a, uh, a a solo type person? You prefer to go with a big group, small group, or what's your ideal trip? Uh, generally not a big group. I would say I'm 50-50 between uh, going solo and going with a handful of people, maybe up to three or four um, is the group size I, size I like to go with. Um, I like them for different reasons. You know, there's, I'm sure my, my favorite fishing trips have all been with other people, but sometimes I really like the freedom of being alone because I can do exactly what I want for exactly how long I want. And if I want to fish for this six inch brook trout that's hiding under this bank for an hour, I can do that and not have to, you know, apologize to anybody. So I like them both. Um, and I'd say I do them probably about 50, 50. Yeah. Do you fish with people who have, I don't know, maybe not similar styles, but similar ethics? Um, I think the ethics is a really important one, but similar styles sometimes can be, you know, you're trying to, to fish through something really quick. So is that person. But if, if they want to just stay and hit one hole, are they okay with you living? So, or leaving, is it, is it more of an ethics thing? Is it a style thing that, uh, that your fishing buddy is made up of? Uh, it's, it happens to, sorry, my dog's barking in the background. I hope it's not too loud. No. Um, uh, most of the people I fish with are the people I used to guide with. It's, mm. you know, those are friendships that have just stuck around and, uh, we tend to match, on ethics pretty well. So that's never gotten in the way. Um, 
I will Mel in particular comes to mind. Uh, she's notorious for wanting to hit things and move and move and move. And I want to like sit in a hole and pick it clean. And I've had to get, I think both of us have had to get a little bit better about that because sometimes she's the one who's like raking them in because what you need to be doing is like hopping from hole to hole and get the one fish out of each one. And, uh, you know, sometimes the hole is filling in and you can just keep pulling them out. So it, it really depends. And we have to kind of, uh, adapt to each other, but, uh, yeah, I'd say my friends are, they're just who have fallen into my life and we work well together and haven't really thought much about our styles. Yeah. Uh, the river makes a big difference too. Sometimes the distance between holes, you can have some unfishable stretches. And so it's like, I want to move up and this person's not ready to move yet. I'm like, uh, okay, I'll hang out a little bit, but you know, it's nice to be able to say, Hey, I'm going to head up to number three. I'll meet you up there. And they'll, you know, understanding too, that what that means is about an hour, hour and a half, not six hours later, I'm going to come looking for you. Um, but, oh no, I was just here. I was just enjoying it. Like, well, six hours is a long time. So it's, it's nice to have at least some common ground. Yeah, we tend to we tend to work well together in that we understand that the other person knows what they're doing and we're not going to leave each other. So there will be times that someone goes up around the bend and you know, you know, we don't have to constantly be right next to each other. Um I've had one of my friends go off and just take a nap in the woods <laughs> and I didn't know and you know, I assumed I'll meet up with you in an hour or so and um I don't know, it's, it's very I would say it's very seamless. So there's very little discussion of okay, you're going to go here and how long are you going to be there? It's it's very much we are starting here we came in the same car we're going to leave in the same car we we trust each other's outdoor skills you know i'm not worried that you're going to run off and die so mm-hmm. you know i'll see you i'll see you when i see you and you know generally we're in the same area i can i can usually see my entire group um but i'm not i'm not thrown off when someone goes up out of view and you know i know i'll run into them later who gets to decide uh, which river to go to mm most of my close fishing friends don't live in state. So when they come here, it's like a thing, you know, it's, we, we've planned it in advance. Um, but I, I guess like, obviously when I'm going alone, I, I choose and I, I like planning. I like looking at maps and stuff. So I'm often want to suggest something and my friends are very eager to say, sure, let's go check it out. So I guess I would say I, I throw out most of the spots, but it's, it's a group decision. Mm-hmm. One of the things I liked about being on the road system down there when I was down there with my wife in Wyoming was drive north, south, you just kind of pick, pick a direction and go, which was really nice. But uh, here in Southeast Alaska, it's made up of 1,700 islands. So sometimes you want to go to this inlet or this other bay, you know, where the where the river comes in and there's a trail to go up, but sometimes the weather doesn't permit it. So the water should be perfect because it's up and there's been some rain, but then it's blowing 15 out of the South. And so you're going to have five footers. And so you're not going to be able to get your boat to that area. So it's really frustrating sometimes to know that the the river is going to be fishing perfect, but there's too much wind to get your boat there safely. Or if you try to anchor, you're going to drag anchor. So it's, there's a lot of days in the spring where it's like, it's perfect. There's fish everywhere. I know exactly (laughs) what they're doing. I can't go. Yeah, I guess I wouldn't say we have anything like that here. The closest thing is that, um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of the higher country is iced over through a lot of the year. So you got a short window, but generally when summer's here, it's here. And we don't have to worry about, you know, getting cut off from a place like that. Yeah, it it does uh, limit crowds, though. I will tell you that. But it yeah. does make it, it's almost crushing when um, you go to this spot and you think you're going to have it by yourself because you left the dock earliest and you, you know, just as the light was starting to come up and you get there and there's two other boats at the, at the, at the, at the dock or anchored up and you think, Oh my gosh, there's, there's only like three good spots on this river and there's already people there. 
gosh dang it and there's no alternative you can't just drive to the next one so man it's so frustrating just crushing it's alaska like why do i have to share this river but <laughs> spoiled well yeah i feel like you got other perks don't worry yeah yeah so uh you do some hunting there too i do what uh what's your favorite uh quarry um so for big game we do um pronghorn elk uh, mule deer and we actually did our first Colorado whitetail trip. I had done whitetails back east but this was our first year going for Colorado whitetails um, and then we do a lot of small game too. So snowshoe hare, squirrels, those are two main ones. We'll do grouse on occasion. We just did our first duck hunt this year which was super fun. Like we were like how did this not come into our lives earlier? So um, very eager to, to do some more duck this year. Did uh, like you get any? We did. Uh, so we went, I did one goose hunt and I limited out on geese and then we did a duck hunt and it was, uh, my, my buddy took us and he said it was the coldest day he had gone out this year. I don't think it broke five degrees. Mm. And, um, he said it could be really good because of that, but, uh, we only had a couple come in. They were, they were just kind of flying over. Um, we, we got a couple, it was, but it was really fun. I got a little bit of frostbite, which was not fun, <laughs> but <laughs> learned my lesson and, uh, still eager to go back next time. Yeah. What, um, how'd you cook the duck? So we've cooked one so far and it was a, it was a mallard. We just plucked it and roasted it whole and it was delicious, juicy. Um, got it. I don't remember where we probably got the recipe from one of our Hank Shaw books, but mm. it was just a whole roasted duck, like super simple and super delicious. Nice. We got a lot of diver ducks up here. And so they taste like uh, fish, which is not great. That's really yeah. not what we're looking for. And even the mallards, uh, as they're, as they're coming through your, your puddle ducks are, they're on the flyway in this area here. They're landing in some of that brackish water and they're um, eating a lot of, you know, some, some of the marine stuff. And so they don't taste uh, as good um, as they, as I'm sure they are when they get down there, but man, it's, it's so fun to be able to get out there and it's a nice change of pace and just different hang out there. You're, you're chatting, you're drinking coffee, or at least that's our program up here. I don't know if, if yeah. a lot more serious down there. No, that's one of the things we really liked about it was kind of like you can hang out and chat. And then when you see him come, you see him coming from far enough away that you've got a you got a chance to, you know, steal yourself and quiet down. And, you know, that's obviously just not the case. It's it's also the case with small game, um, which is why we like small game. But, you know, when you're deer hunting, you're not going to be just talking at full volume and moving around and stuff and just, oh, there's one. You know, that's not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, so while we like big game a lot for its own reasons, um, the social aspect of small game and now waterfowl is a, a big draw for us so it's like we don't really care how much we get we just like being out there and being able to socialize and and have a good time and hopefully bring something home but not always and that's okay mm-hmm. i listen to podcasts and and you know movie or watching films and whatnot it seems like colorado is a pretty a pretty epic place potentially to hunt but also a pretty crowded um place have you uh, kind of experienced that or can you compare it to other states yeah so the only state i can compare it against is pennsylvania because that's where i grew up and it's a bit different because we have a lot more public land out here. So it did feel crowded in Pennsylvania, but there's a lot more people who have private land there, I feel like. So I encountered a lot of people in Pennsylvania, but it was because there was limited public land. Mm-hmm. Um, and out here, there's plentiful public land, but there's also so many people. Yeah. Um, that said, it's not, I, we haven't found it terribly hard to get away from people. You know, we won't go a whole hunting trip without seeing somebody, but um We've gone to places that are just a little bit less trafficked and it's, it's kind of like fly fishing. You know, people talk about how the rivers are so crowded, but if you put in a little bit of effort to get away from those people, you know, it's not, it's not terribly difficult to do so. So do I wish it were less crowded? Yes. But at the end of the day, I feel like generally if I'm not 
getting something, it's my own fault. It's not because somebody ruined it for me. You know, you hear the horror stories of somebody, you know, the elk is walking in front of you and someone else shoots it while it's standing in front of you. Um, And we haven't had that happen. It's, you know, wish we saw less people, fewer people, but um, at the end of the day, not, not a huge deal. And for small game, not a problem at all. Like we don't see anybody when we're out for small game, um, as long as you go outside the, the general big game seasons. So that's kind of our, our way to get away. We'll go out for snowshoe hairs after the last big game season ends and you'll see nobody because they've all, they've all gone home for the season. Yeah. So um, yeah, I mean, I wish it were less crowded. Maybe we'll get there someday, but we might get worse <laughs> before it gets better. <laughs> yeah. That's such a, it's a convenient talking point and it is based in some level of truth. You know, it's so easy. You see what else is out there and, and you know, through podcasts and through writing and through films, you look at these other experiences and you think, man, that'd be really cool to do. I want to do that it seems much, much more accessible. You know, before it used to just be a matter of whatever you read in Field and Stream magazine or Outdoor Life. But now with so much content out there, you start to think, wow, big, big brown, brown trouts on this river, or, you know, hey, I can probably get a mule deer tag in this state, or there's a lot of public land in Colorado. So it's, it's kind of a mixed bag. You, you want to have those experiences. And so you end up being the exact person in a different state that you hope doesn't show up in your own state. And it's a weird conflicting thing. Yeah, I think that's one of the things I've struggled with is, um, you know, I I've also kind of fallen into the trap at times of complaining about how many people are out there. And then I have to remember that I'm one of those people. Um, and I wouldn't say I'm someone who's gotten into it recently because of social media or something, because I know that's a topic that's been thrown around. I don't know if you've followed any of the Matt Ranella stuff um, with. OK, so he's kind of pushing for uh, no longer promoting things like hunting and fishing on social media because the woods are getting too crowded. And I, I kind of understand that. Um, I get the frustration of, you know, the COVID, the COVID licenses where everyone wants to pick up hunting now and the people yeah. who've been out there for a long time get kind of upset about that. I get that. Um, but it, it's a double-edged sword. I mean, I, I can't blame someone else for being in the woods when I'm also in the woods. Um, do I think there's people out there with better intentions than others? Yeah. And I would prefer to see more people who are out there doing it for what I would call the right reasons, I guess. Um, but at the end of the day, it's not really my my thing to dictate. So I hate to to throw too much shade at people um, because they choose to do something differently than I do. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a frame of mind that you got to keep. And it's sometimes it's, like I said, it's, it's pretty convenient, pretty easy to make that, uh, make that argument, but there is a conversation that does need to be have about what happens going forward. And with this much attention and this, you know, there's, it's pretty easy to find the information you need. And there's also classes and you can, you can get consultants, you can do all that stuff. And so a lot of people are providing great services to people. There's nothing wrong with those services whatsoever. Um, but it does, you know, like, where's this going to lead? Is it, is it, can it continue at this pace? I, I'm not sure if it can. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see where things go uh, going forward. Yeah. I, I don't know if there's any talk about limiting the the over-the-counter licenses in Colorado, but that's something I would potentially be open to. Um, you know, I, I like that we have over-the-counter licenses. It makes it nice. So if you don't know what your schedule is going to be in the fall, you know, you can get an over-the-counter license, not burn any points. Um, you can pick it up a couple weeks before the season and go out. And that's a nice luxury we have, but I feel like maybe putting a cap on it. So it's like, at least, you know, at some point you have to make a decision if you're going to get one, as long as I, I like the idea of, you know, if you live in this state and you want to, make the cap high enough that most people can go out and get one. But, you know, it's at some point the state can only hold so many people. And so I don't know if that's the point we're going to get to where they cap it. Um, I would hate to lose over the counter entirely. I think that's a great system to have. Um, I like being in an opportunity state, but you know, I I don't know if the trends are still going up uh, or if they've started to plateau, but I also have a hard time really 
I think a lot of people state a really strong opinion about this who aren't in the like in the system and knowing how it works. And so I'm I have to assume that I don't know what they're you know what what information they're using to make decisions. And so while I do have an opinion, uh, I have to remind myself that it's probably pretty uninformed. Mm. You know, they they probably have reasons for doing the things they do. So um, I'd like to trust that they'll continue to give us opportunities to to get game and opportunities to hunt every year and and hopefully a decent enough hunt quality while we're out there. Yeah, sometimes I have to think about what it is that I'm missing because it seems so incredibly obvious. I think yeah. that it has to be something else because I'm not super smart, but this seems totally like a slam dunk to me. But uh, yeah, I know a lot of people have a lot more information. And that's what's nice too about listening to a lot of podcasts where they discuss things and you kind of get the pros and cons and you know they don't necessarily come to an agreement. It's just a, these are all the things that are at work and these are the things you got to figure out and consider. So based on all this stuff, you try to make a, a decision um, it's going to be most beneficial to the most amount of people and and not everyone's going to be happy, but do what you can. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, I, I like hunting. I like the ability to sometimes bring something home and I, I'm not personally super interested in trophy quality. I know a lot of people would disagree with me on that, but it's probably because I am still, I wouldn't say I'm a new hunter, but I'm still in the phase where um, anything excites me. I want to bring meat home. And so I like living in a state where there's a lot of opportunity for that. I, I also appreciate that there's states out there that do it differently and and prioritize, um, you know, the ability for someone to go bring home what they would consider a trophy. Uh, for me, everything's still a trophy. So, you know, I like being where I am. Yeah. I have a couple of my students that have shot just magnum blacktail bucks, you know, nice four points with uh, with eye guards. And we don't get a lot of the, like your four by four is your, is your standard by which everything else is kind of measured up here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we don't get, everything is a lot more concise. Um, uh, we don't get 15 pointers or a whole bunch of everything. There's some of the mule deer you have down there to look like small elk, just the yeah. massive size variation. We won't really get that. So some of these students, I'm not like concerned for them, but when you're 15, 16 years old and you already have six or seven, four by fours with eye guards under your belt, like. There's not a whole, there's not nowhere to go almost, right. you know? And, and so it's been nice to, I kind of eased into it. I was shooting some smaller bucks and just, I'm still very happy with a really nice, um, fork and horn. You know, if I see, shoot something bigger than that's great, but you know, it's, it's nice to have that, that wonderment still. And, um, when you see that big deer, it's not just a, eh, yeah, yeah, well, you know, if it was a little bit, I think it's a, if a number comes right to mind, like, oh, I think that's a, that's a 280 bull or a one, I, I have no idea. And I'm blissfully unencumbered by, by the numbers game to this point. Yeah. I'm not particularly jealous of the people that get to the stage. I mean, I'm jealous in that they've, they've usually killed so many things by that point that they've, they've gotten here. So I'm jealous of, you know, all the experiences they've gotten all the lessons they've learned along the way, all the meat they've gotten to eat. I'm not jealous of seeing something small and not getting excited about it. You know, like a doe walks out and my heart is pounding through my chest. (laughs) And like, I like that. I get so excited all the time and I don't envy the people who see these things and get like a blank look on their face. Um, I mean, even for small game, like we, we see few enough of the things we go after that everything is so exciting to us still. And while I want to get to the point where I can I can bring home meat more reliably because it's still kind of a crapshoot. It's not a guarantee when I go out by any means. Um, but I like I want to get to the point where it's more reliable, but I still get that that excitement over something that's not you know a Boone and Crockett animal. Like I don't I don't really want to get to the point where that's the only thing that fires me up, or I need to like kind of reassess what my priorities are. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, when uh, my wife and I were hunting for mule deer in Wyoming, I, I I went into it just wanting it to be obvious. I didn't want some sort of like, oh, well, that's like clearly, or that's a kind of in between, or like, man, that king. So the first buck we saw was just like a chopstick, and we call him chopstick because he just like <laughs> a pencil pencil length uh, antlers. We're like, yeah, well, I. <laughs> Uh, we can probably do better and it is day one. So let's, you know, we, we feel okay passing on that one. Um, and then after that day didn't really work out, we're like, where's chopstick? Where's chopstick? <laughs> Chopstick's going down if he shows himself again. But we both ended up uh, getting bucks uh, later on after it snowed a little bit. Mine was a, um, a four by four is a pretty small one. Um, and uh, my wife got a nice, uh, nice forky, but, uh, you know, totally happy without question. As soon as we saw him, I was like, oh, that thing is going down. There's no sorting yeah. through chopsticks gonna live we're we're in good shape here <laughs> well hopefully next year chopsticks will be like i don't know two prong fork at least it's been it's been two years now so unless someone else uh went to chopstick yeah he's he's he could be getting there <laughs> what's uh what's on your fishing schedule for uh for this year anything anything big or are you gonna run your uh your local program and really enjoy that no this is it's actually our, our our giant year um we're doing our first saltwater trip we're getting married in june and going to belize uh, in mid June. So we'll be learning everything from scratch. We've, we know nothing about saltwater fishing. I just interviewed Tom Rowland on my show to pick his brain. And I had to emphasize that I'm nothing I'm asking you is, is from any of you other than having never heard of it before. So like you have to really dumb down your answers. Um, so we'll be doing uh, bonefish tarpon permit and basically any other species they've got there. It sounds like they've got barracuda and, um, triggerfish and jacks and sharks and all kinds of stuff. So, yeah, we'll be diving into that and trying to learn a lot while we're there for seven days. Yeah. Do you get really excited about a whole bunch of different species or is it just one that kind of sticks out to you? One, or, uh, Sorry, I get excited about the, the variety of species. I like not knowing what I'm going to catch. And that's actually one of the things that I don't love about Colorado is you often know what's in the stream. You're like, this is a brook trout stream. This is what I will catch. And one thing I miss about Pennsylvania is you cast out and you get something on your line you have no idea what it is like it could be one of 10 different things and i i love the surprise um so i'm i'm not going for anything in, in particular i'll take what they can give me and the more the merrier um uh, species wise yeah i grew up uh catching salmon on a, a spinning rod and it was they're all the same just a matter of how fast you could get your limit which is a cool thing to to grow up with but then um i i kind of a fish had to look a certain way and so it was like this, this salmon look and it was silvery and it was beautiful. And that's what I equated beauty to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then rainbow trout, definitely beautiful. So it was hard for me to get behind some of the other ones like, like bass. Um, well, I lived in California for a little bit after college and we'd go fishing. And the first time I caught a, a smallmouth, I was like, oh, it's a smallmouth. That was actually kind of fun. That was kind of a fun fish. And I caught some more I'm like, wow, this, I really enjoy this. This is, this is pretty cool. And so I had to kind of get over my, they kind of look like rockfish. Yeah. And when you're halibut fishing and you get a rockfish, it's yeah, it's not what you're looking for. And so I kind of, from you know a young age, equated rockfish looking things with the spines on the back to an undesirable thing. And so I had to get over that gross green look and appreciate them for what they are. And it is pretty cool to get that variety and and kind of break down those stereotypes that could be reinforced when you're a uh, young kid. Yeah, I grew up with smallmouth bass, so that was my that was my bar. Um, so trout only got more beautiful from there. Although I, I love smallmouth fishing. I think they fight so well. Um, I like their scrappiness. I've done largemouth fishing too, but smallmouths always draw me back in. So what's your favorite, uh, trout? If there's one trout you want to go after, what would that be? 
Uh, cutthroats for sure. Um, I like brook trout for their for their looks, but I really like the native fish out here. I think they need protection from all the non-native species. So if I could if I could only choose one to to fish for out here specifically, I mean, if I go back east and am in the brook trout's native range, then I want to fish for that. But uh, basically, whatever fish is native where I'm at, and for me, for the past couple of years, you know, it's been cutthroat. So that's that's top of my list at the moment. Yeah, there's the, the variety of the cutthroats is awesome. The one that we the coastal cutthroat we have up here is is beautiful. Looks kind of like a, a a golden rainbow with the slits, and sometimes it can look a little bit more rain, rainbowish. And a lot of people talk about there being hybrids and whatnot. But uh, then the first um, um, Snake River cutthroat I got was just awesome. Totally different looking fish, and it was beautiful. And it was in the Bighorn Mountains, like the whole everything. One of those meadow streams. It was just man, what, what a cool experience. And it was only, you know, 12 inches or something like that, but it really didn't, yeah. there's such like aggressive beauty with those things. And it's, I uh, love trout fishing. Yeah. I also like the the fact that they are in a lot of our Alpine lakes. Um, and they're, they're kind of golden yellowish color when they're, when they're underwater and they're, especially when they're big, you can kind of see that, that blob, uh, it's just kind of like a tan blob underwater, but the, you know, the, level they tend to hang out and the size they tend to get in those those lakes up there um and they, they love to rise to a dry fly so i just i like their behavior um i like the way they look i like the places they live i just kind of like everything about them you gone for a steelhead before just once yeah i went well great lake steelhead so if you count that as a steelhead then yes i haven't done west coast steelhead <laughs> okay yeah I, that's a that's a whole other thing i didn't fish for them growing up just because i was in the a lot of sports and so you know, it wasn't going to spend extra time out on the river when it was really cold trying for one. Um, but man, I just got it real bad when I moved back here and it was, oh man, that's so much fun. So such a different experience and just great. It seems like people get the bug for sure. When they start doing that, it's like, takes, it takes over their life. And I, I went once someone took me, um, I caught one, it was fun, but I don't feel like I learned much. I felt like mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I kind of checked the box. And so I'd like to, I'd like to dive in a little more at some point. I'd like to do West coast, but it also feels like something you need to dedicate a decent amount of time to, if you actually want to learn much, um, like no, no fault, uh, of the person who took me, but going for one afternoon, you know, there's only so much you can soak up about something that's, you know, b- very different technique wise than what I'm used to. Yeah. Yeah. I think especially if you, if you've had the success, um, it can maybe, feel easy or or yeah the, the first trip really has a, has a lot to do with it and if uh the sacrifice that you have to make and also the conditions so if you're out there in the winter you know there's there's definitely something to it and it's uh i think we we glorify it romanticize it a little bit oh i'm a steelheader like all oh, you are yeah. fly fishermen but i i fish for steelhead and there's you know some bravado that comes with that but uh yeah it's 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 a whole it's it's a nice thing especially here in spring when it's been rainy and and then snowy and just miserable it's nice to get out and and if you do happen to catch one man like it's it's so good do you like to swing flies for them or how do you how do you fish for them i like to swing flies for them but other times i'm like i just i want to catch one so i'm gonna go jig under a bobber and whatever don't care don't care. I just, I just want, uh, I just want to have some success, but, uh, it's hard to tell when the fish are going to be in here. Cause our, our rivers are a lot smaller since they're Island rivers. So they don't drain vast, you know, acreage. Um, so the water is, is prime for just a couple of days. It drains out so fast. It can, get, it can drop and get really cold. And so the fish can fishing can really turn off. Um, and then the season can vary 
you know, pretty easily within, uh, within a couple of weeks, uh, year in, year out. So, um, you can hit a hole and there's nothing in there. And so I, I got to make sure I fish this thing, right. I want to get this first one of the year for sure. And so you, you do something that's not as, you know, it's kind of frowned upon, I guess, but, uh, it's an effective method and it's, it's fun. And if you, if you want to catch one, then that's probably a better way to go. Kind of reminds me of our salmon fly hatch here where it, like it happens the same time of year each year, but like what day it's going to happen um, mm. or what week it's going to happen is not set in stone. And so you've kind of got to be waiting the wings and ready to, to pounce when it happens, because once you hear about it, it's probably going to be too late for you to you know plan a trip for you know a week or two from now. You've got to be ready when it's, when it starts. Yeah. Yeah, it's I had, a, I had a buddy that came up from California. I said, "Hey, dude, you come up here the last two years. This has been the week. Come up." So he spends all the money to come up, and we'd had a kind of a late winter, and so there's a lot of snow, and then it got really cold and dry, and so the river was low and it was really cold. So the first day we caught uh, we both caught steelhead, but the rest of the week uh, he didn't catch anything. So he came up, and was here for a whole week, and I felt terrible, but that was just you know, it was they were about about two weeks later, just because it was, uh, the weather conditions and, uh, he had a, he had fun and it was a good time. And, uh, I ran out of gas on the skiff once. And I was, as I was flipping, uh, flipping the, the, the gas uh, tank, uh, it flooded. And, um, so we were kind of just drifting out there in the ocean and, uh, we heard wolves and I was like, see, this is perfect, man. If had we not run out of gas, you would not have heard a pack of wolves howling. So, you know, don't be upset that, uh, we ran out of gas. We'll be fine. Yeah, it was it was in the cards from the beginning. I wanted him to have an authentic Alaskan experience, so there you go. <laughs> I still haven't made it to Alaska, but it's it's definitely on my list. Yeah, I don't I don't know how you can go wrong with Alaska. My wife and I did our honeymoon on the Kenai Peninsula, and I'd never been there. And you think that if you live in Alaska, that you would have have gone there, but it's just you know it's hard to get around. Big island, and you know southeast again being all those islands, it's it's hard to or big state uh, living on uh, on an island, it's it's tough to get up there. So. Um, Definitely some crowds up there, but just a different, unique fishery and so much fun to, to swing for for king salmon on the fly and um, grayling. And it's just, there's so much to do. It's 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 a lot of fun. It's a, it's a good challenge. Yeah, I think we'd like to get up there to fish at some point. I'd like to hunt up there. I'd like to see the northern lights. I feel like I've got too many things on my list and it's probably going to end up needing to be broken into numerous trips. Yeah, that's that's true. The Northern Lights are definitely winter, but that's not uh, your prime fishing time. So unless you timed it with steelhead, we've had some really magnificent uh, um, Northern Lights the last couple of nights. It's been it's been pretty crazy. Um, but you know, Southeast Alaska, it's normally uh, cloudy, so it's like a crazy night, but you can't see them because on the other side of the clouds. Wow. So my buddy buddies up in Fairbanks are saying, yeah, it was it was crazy. It was like you could like reach up and and touch them, and it would it would be like ink on your hands. Um, but uh, yeah, it's been been pretty awesome, and there's some steelhead there around. But yeah, it's 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 prime for one thing, but not for everything. That's for sure. Well, um, we'll call that uh, call that a great episode. Appreciate you being on here. Give uh, give people the the pitch for the podcast, and where can they find you and all that? Yeah, so um, it's fish untamed everywhere, and by everywhere I mean it's not that many places. I've got one. I've got Instagram. Um, it's fish untamed on there. Fish and Tame podcast, wherever podcasts are found, um, Apple, Spotify, everywhere else, and fishandtame.com on the website that's got the uh, kind of older blog posts, uh, has all the episodes posted to it. There's a contact form if anyone wants to reach out. Um, but I think that's pretty much it. Um, you know, those are the three places that people might want to go, and it's Fish Untamed across the board. Great. 
thanks again for being on here. Appreciate it. And uh, enjoy your podcast and keep uh, getting after it. All right. Thanks, Jeff. I appreciate it. See ya.